Welcome to this week's Fit for Purpose podcast. This week we're talking to Professor Karen Bryan. She's Vice Chancellor of York St. John University. And it's a university that's really genuinely pioneered its thinking around how it can be open to the widest number of, of people of all sorts of challenges and backgrounds. We'll hear a little bit about that shortly. But it's now going beyond that and has a, a creative centre, which we'll hear about, and also um, a lot of degree apprenticeships as well. So I think lots for us to discuss and talk about. But but Karen, welcome to the Fit for Purpose podcast. And tell us a little bit about York St. John and the sorts of students that, that are studying at your university. Oh, yes, thank you. So we have around 8,300 students. Um, so we've grown in the last five years. Um, around 79% of our students um, come from an underrepresented group um, in higher education. So maybe they come from an area with low participation, they have a care background, um, and we have uh, specific schemes uh, to bring mature students and also ex-military students into the university. So a very diverse um, population. We also have around 400 uh, degree apprentices, uh, for example, uh, working on data science. Um, so some of those students come from the Office for National Statistics. And also we have um, police degree apprenticeship working with Humberside Police. So lots of very different young people and mature students, I suppose, coming along to the university. How hard, it, hard has it been for the university to steadily change over the years to be able to be a place that, I mean, genuinely can have such a diverse group of, of people studying at it? What's it mean for your staff and, and not just how you do the outreach, but what happens when, when those people arrive? mission is uh, social justice and that has underpinned the 180 year history of the university. Um, so we're really committed to um, bringing people in. Around 40% of our students come from Yorkshire and around 70% stay uh, in, in Yorkshire and, and the wider region. Um, so what we really want to do is uh, treat people as individuals we always say that at York St. John University, you're a name, not a number. Our staff are deeply committed to students succeeding. We find that in many cases, building confidence, um, enabling students to see that they're making progress, that they're learning, will then enable people to really thrive in our environment. And that's fantastic to see for any student. And how challenging has it been during COVID? I mean, obviously, um, the pandemic really broke into term and, and made everything go pretty much online. But are there some learnings of what you were able to do online now that can also help actually um, improve those outcomes for those, those students? Yeah, I think, um, you know, COVID has given us many challenges. We did go online, um, as did most universities. And while we could deliver the learning and students could demonstrate their learning outcomes, it was really hard for them. Um, they missed out on working with their peers. Some of our students had enormous problems uh, with internet access. For example, if 
back at home and sharing with brothers and sisters who were homeschooling. Um, we did our best to supply kit to students, um, but for many of them, it was hard and it was lonely. Also, most of our students um, would previously had, uh, have had one or two uh, jobs outside of university to help manage their finances. And most of them lost those jobs uh, when hospitality, et cetera, closed down. Um, so we also had a programme um, of hardship, uh, which was in the end um, substituted by uh, or had some money from the government added to it. But we tried to get that support out to students as quickly as possible. We're now back fully face to face because what our students have told us is that's absolutely what they want. We are using digital uh, enhancement, making resources available using those learning points from COVID. Uh, but face-to-face -face contact, direct working with staff is very much what our students want. And presumably there's a real buzz on campus now, finally getting people back and able to, to see one another and their, and their lecturers face-to-face. -face. Yes, there absolutely is. And we've got uh, evening events. I, I attended a business school event last evening some under, undergraduate and postgraduate students um, were there and you could really tell they were getting a buzz from being able to talk directly to employers, um, to hear about opportunities uh, in the local area. I think it's just worth digging into some of the, the nuts and bolts in a sense of how you manage that, that pathway into being able to study at the university. One of the things that I think I've, I associate with York St. John in particular is the work that you've done on contextual admissions, which maybe, maybe for people who are less familiar with that, um, Karen, can you explain what we mean by contextual admissions, why they matter, but then almost this wider approach that the university has, because it's not just admissions, it's, it's everything else that you then put in place to help make those, those students succeed. Yes, absolutely. So in terms of contextual admissions, um, for us, it's a methodology to look at the student's background and their contextual circumstances and look at where those are making it less likely for the student to come to university. So we use a very transparent points based system. So if a student uh, comes from an area um, which is underrepresented in higher education, they would gain a point. If they have had free school meals, they would gain a point if they have had a period in care. So we look at all these factors which are known to make somebody less likely um, to come to university. And we use those uh, points to reduce uh, the tariff that we require that student um, to obtain. So really what we're trying to do is level up the playing field and, and enable bright, intelligent people who have a really good chance of succeeding to get into university. And I do think that the transparency is really important. So we tend to make lower tariff offers Occasionally, we make unconditional offers, for example, if a student has had a portfolio looked at, um, but we never use 
uh, conditional, unconditional. It's really important that people come here because they want to come here because it's the right decision for them. I think that's absolutely right. And I mean, obviously, for, for many of those young people, there's a lot of work that happens at the university, isn't there, once they arrive so that they can make the most of this chance of studying at higher education? Yes, so we have a really comprehensive uh, support programme. We talk about support to succeed. Um, some students just need a little bit of support. Some students need a lot. So we would have study skills, um, a range of uh, support. Uh, we have a lot of support for well-being, uh, for mental health if that's needed. Our tutors get to know students really well and follow their progress quite carefully. We have various means of uh, detecting whether a student is, is not really engaging or there's been a change in their engagement pattern. And we encourage students to seek support when they're wobbling, not wait until uh, they're really in crisis. But really, lots of them don't need masses of support. They need to know it's there. They need to have their confidence built. And then really, they're off, they're learning, they're succeeding. And so what you're saying is, yes, perhaps you need to open the door a bit wider for these people to be able to get through it. But actually, for a lot of them, once they've got that opportunity, once they're studying at the university, they are capable of making the most of it. And, and in a sense, any catch up they need to do, they're doing for themselves. Yes, exactly. And there are other examples, for example, um, placements. Um, we know that students have a much better chance of gaining a graduate job if they have some placement experience. However, if they spend most of their non-studying time working to manage their finances, um, actually having the time for a placement is quite difficult. Mm -hmm. Many of our students wouldn't have the social contacts from home that might enable them to gain uh, a placement through a, a family contact, etc. So we will help students to find placements, we'll support them. Um, we have schemes where students can take placements as part of their programme, um, where they're paid. We also have summer internships, again, where students are paid. So perhaps they can reduce the work that they do uh, for financial reasons and take on uh, a paid internship. So those would be good examples of where the student is perfectly capable, but the institution needs to give a helping hand. And it's, it's it, what it shows is that, you know, sometimes there are some real financial practicalities, aren't there? that you have to overcome. You can have somebody who wants to do something, who's capable of it, but actually, if the university can work to, to mitigate that financial issue, then, then it, it really does unlock a lot of progress. Um, one area I did want to ask you about, Karen, actually, was the work that York St John is doing around supporting care leavers into higher education and then beyond, because I think it is something you know, that you focused on and would be good, I think, just to get a, a clearer sense for people listening to this about, about what you've done. Yes, thank you. So our contextual admissions would obviously pick up that somebody uh, has uh, is a care leaver or who's spent a significant period uh, in care. Once we identify those students, we support them 
uh, as they join the university. As I say, we, we never uh, set conditions around any offer, but if they want to come to us, we support their entry. Um, we also help with uh, bespoke support. Uh, vacations can be very difficult for care leavers, so we provide accommodation. Christmas is particularly difficult, and again, we have various schemes. Um, we also have a York St. John Scholars Programme, um, which care leavers are eligible for. But once they're here, they're no different from anyone else. They can access as much or as little of the support that's available. But they have um, a mentor or a supporter who will ensure that they're getting the bespoke uh, care that they need. And you find that the outcomes are good and that you're also able to weave them into this wider work on employability that you were talking about to make sure that they can not only get into York St John, but then get connected up afterwards with, with an employment opportunity. Yes, absolutely. Um, they do extremely well. I don't think they're in any way singled out from uh, anyone else. Many of our care leavers get very actively involved in volunteering with local community groups. Um, they often feel quite passionate about working with uh, young school children. Mm -hmm. We also have a scheme of um, student ambassadors. So those are students um, who compete um, for paid work in the university. We, we train them, they help on our open days. Uh, they take prospective candidates on campus tours, they, they work with some of our school partners, and many of our care leavers get very involved uh, in that programme, sometimes as their sort of first experience of, of paid work. So that's a good e example uh, of how we can uh, help people to build their confidence around future employment. And of course, now that the university is continuing to develop um, under your leadership as vice chancellor and, and you're setting up and opening a new creative centre that really directly ties to this levelling up agenda you've got. Tell us a little bit about what that creative centre is all about and what it's going to do. Uh, yes, thanks. So it's a large building. It will give us um, a big uh, auditorium. It will give us various music rooms, uh, a computer suite and also a film studio. So we hope that many of our students studying uh, practical courses around computing, arts, media, journalism, um, they'll have access to state of the art facilities, uh, to make films, to interview people, but we also have a focus for the Creative Centre on linking um, with local groups, uh, with schools, so we'll have the space to bring arts groups, dance groups into the centre to work with our students to put on performances which the public will be able to um, attend. And we have a lot of plans around our school partnership. We know that coming to a university, engaging in uh, study type activities, um, even for students in primary school is really important in terms of raising their aspirations. So we'll have much more space um, and modern facilities to do that. So really you're using it as a chance, not just to improve the facilities for your own students, it also becomes a chance to 
have a, a fresh interaction with the wider public and your community in York. And in doing so, actually, to get some people to have contact with the university, either at a very, a very young age, or perhaps from an entirely different bit of the city through some of the cultural events that you can have. So it, it's all about just finding those touch points, isn't it? And, and thinking about how what you're doing as a university can actually lend itself to, to having a wider impact in the community. Yes, yeah, so we're very much hoping that the Creative Centre will stimulate activity around um, the arts, creative subjects, um, and it's mirroring really what we've done with our sports facilities. So um, 10 minutes away, we have a much larger sports centre, a new tennis centre. So we've got local schools coming and using those facilities. We've got professional clubs. Um, our students have volunteering opportunities with those clubs, but the clubs also work with uh, community groups. So sport is a good way to reach out, but also the arts and the creative areas are really good ways to reach out to the local community. And I think it, it comes at a really pertinent time as well, where there's a growing debate almost about opening up the arts and culture and opening up certain sports as well. So you know, there's there's more diversity, but that really begins with people coming into contact with those things in the first place and, and getting a sense of of what doing them as an opportunity can present, which I think is is really interesting. Um, I also wanted to ask you, Karen, about the degree apprenticeships programs you've got, because that is something that I think perhaps as much as any university, York St. John has really not challenge itself because I think you've seen it as an opportunity, but but you've really put on quite a wide range of these degree apprenticeships now. And, and it'd be good to A, get a sense of almost the strategy around doing all of that, but B, get a sense of to what extent that's reaching out to a, a different student group now, perhaps than, than you've had in the past. Uh, yes, so um, we felt that degree apprenticeships was an important uh, strategic agenda. Um, in theory, it opens up the university uh, experience to people who either didn't do that when they were 18 or who are looking uh, to move on. It's clearly a different funding base. I think de degree apprenticeships are quite hard to get up and running, that there's a lot of bureaucracy, um, there's a lot of criteria to meet. Um, you've really got to be working with employers who really, really want it to succeed and who are prepared to go the extra mile. So there's an awful lot of development work before you uh, begin to see a program. But once it's up and running, it definitely does open doors to people who wouldn't be able to consider university normally but it's also important in terms of developing careers of mature people um, so they're they're an interesting bunch um, our staff find that um, they have some slightly different learning needs but again um, most of our degree apprentices are doing really amazingly well and what's it like for the staff? Because presumably it's also a different way of delivering that learning environment and education. Or is it is it something that in a sense aligns to some of the other areas you'd already got, like, for example, the, the, the teacher education piece of what the university does? 
Yeah, so we have a lot of um, courses where there is a very strong practical element, um, you know, bioscience, teaching, computing. So we're trying to ensure that all of our students um, gain the sort of practical skills, the intellectual skills um, that they need for a graduate job. So perhaps the difference between um, our standard degrees and our degree apprenticeships are a little bit less than they might be elsewhere. I think often uh, for staff, um, degree apprentices can initially be seen as quite demanding students because they're already in work, um, they, they know where they're going, perhaps they're a bit more confident. Um, but I think our ethos of treating people as an individual, um, helping them to steer their course um, through the provision that's available to get what they need applies equally to a degree apprentice as it does to a standard uh, undergraduate. And how do you work with the employers? I mean, obviously, as you say, Karen, it's a big change actually for many employers to, to look at doing a degree apprenticeship um, earlier on down the ladder, as it were, on technical education. You've got the introduction of T levels that all also are, you know, need employers very, very engaged in all of this. How has the university gone about building up those relationships so that they can be at the level where you can confidently deliver a high quality degree apprenticeship course with them? Yes, I think the demand on the employer is quite significant. And for some small employers, that, that can be really challenging. I think it's really important that you work initially with the employer so that they can understand the degree apprenticeship standards, because we have to deliver those standards. If what the employer wants um, is different to those standards, it's really a non-starter. So that's another example of what I mean about the large amount of development work that has to go in. You have to work with the, the employer so that they understand the standards, they understand what the student needs to do, um, what competencies will need to be signed off, what the workplace will need to supply. And if that's right for the employer, then you're really off to a good start. I think really good communication with the employer is very important, ensuring that um, the university tracks the uh, degree apprentices progress very carefully and keeps the uh, employer in the loop. And if there are any problems to sit down together and work out how best to move forward. So it is you need really good working relationships and you need time for the degree apprentice from both the university and the employer. Do you think, I mean, looking ahead, because obviously this is a, in the grand scheme of things, a comparatively new route for getting a degree for people. It's obviously reliant on employers becoming part of that, that effectively that co-designed co and co-delivered course. Do you think that in a sense, there will always be a growing demand for degree apprenticeships from people. The big challenge is actually, can we get enough employers to almost think of that role they can play on degree apprenticeships and to almost come forward to be part of helping to expand the supply of them? 
Um, I think that, I mean, that's a tough question. Degree apprenticeships are very expensive to deliver and they're actually very expensive for the employer because although there is a levy that's uh, available, it doesn't cover all of the costs. Mm -hmm. So while I think it's a really good route, I think it's probably right for a finite number of employers Mm -hmm. and a finite number of students. Um, I think there will be expansion, um, but I wouldn't think practically that degree apprenticeships could replace undergraduate degrees, for example. That's really interesting. So so it, it's, a, it's a route that will have its place, but will ultimately coexist alongside that more known traditional route that that is already there from your perspective yes and i think there's more work that universities such as york st john can do to think about if you like non-standard students mm -hmm. so we have um, an entry scheme for mature students so the ucas scheme is very geared to young people and that can grate a bit for more mature people um, and so any applicants to us, they go through the same process, but it's it's a different scheme. It handles them as mature people. And we have a variant of that for um, people who are um, coming out of the military. And a really important element of that is being able to accredit their prior learning. So they may have uh, many different types of qualifications that they've obtained uh, within the military, but they'll perhaps put a first inquiry to us saying, well, I don't think I've got anything like the qualifications. And we can do that mapping with them. We can identify gaps and suggest how they meet those gaps uh, so that they can come into the university. And again, they will probably have a slightly different um, journey through the support that's available. It's really interesting because actually, you know, on the other side, then the growing, the growing numbers of apprenticeships is also ultimately fitting into that wider access agenda, isn't it? Because it's meaning that you're dealing with people who aren't necessarily 18 and they've just got their A-level results. And so that's then prompting you to look more broadly and to almost link up all of that learning from bringing on more people from military backgrounds to how that sort of approach can apply, I guess, to, to other people. Yes, exactly. And I think the approach that we try to take is to look at what does this person bring rather than slavishly look at A-level grades, BTEC grades, what qualities does this person have to bring to learning that will help them to succeed? And that's really what you need to identify. I think it's absolutely fascinating. And of course, you know, on anybody's career, um, I, I guess you don't necessarily have a, a career plan, but it's probably a good time to talk about your career, Karen, actually. Um, were you always planning to go into academia or, or tell people about the route that you've taken to become a vice chancellor? Okay, um, so absolutely not. I never really had a career plan, I have to say. Um, so, I was, <laughs> so I was a first in family to university. 
Um, my parents and grandparents didn't attend university. They, they weren't lucky enough. But my own parents were really, really supportive um, of me achieving that. So I studied speech science um, on a course that um, enabled uh, students who were successful to become speech and language therapists. And that was really what I wanted to do. And that really came from some volunteering that I did um, at school. Um, so that was really what I wanted to do. Um, but once I qualified and started work, I absolutely loved um, the job. I loved working with people. I loved enabling people who'd had strokes, children with cerebral palsy to um, communicate more effectively. But I became really interested in research. I had an opportunity um, to gain a grant study for a PhD. Um, after that, I had a series of um, clinical roles and academic roles. Um, I was married and basically following my husband around the country. So how's that for a career plan? <laughs> bit random. <laughs> At the time, various managers really criticised me. You know, I'd have to make my mind up. Was I going for a clinical career? Was I going for an academic or research career? Um, but actually, more latterly, I think having the clinical experience, the clinical academic where, where you're, you're managing your research alongside a, a clinical commitment to the NHS, having those skills, I think, um, has made me a much more sort of rounded um, academic. And I didn't really want to go into leadership, if I'm honest. Um, but as a result of various restructures, I took a head of school post. Um, I needed a job and there wasn't really another job. And actually I found that I really loved it. Um, and uh, yeah, after a series of positions, uh, was fortunate enough to become uh, a vice chancellor. And I think it's a, just such a brilliant example of how some people do actually know what they want to do from quite a young age and and maybe some people also know even if they didn't know what they want to do they maybe have a sense of of what they're good at um and you're obviously someone like lots of people who you know probably just steadily worked that through as you got into working life and worked out what you enjoyed doing and and it turned out by the sounds of it it was maybe slightly different to, to perhaps what you'd expected and, and ended up being much more about leadership than maybe you'd ever anticipated. Oh, yes, absolutely. I, I wouldn't have thought of leadership uh, until a good halfway through my career. Um, but maybe that was because my aspirations initially were really quite limited. Um, but I do think that um, I've worked essentially since I finished uh, university. Um, and I do think that the days of people just remaining on one career track have probably gone. And being able to articulate the skills that you have, being able to think about how you have skills that you could use in another context. Um, I think that's a uh, that's something that's becoming very important. And we hope that our students can articulate the skills they've gained, but also think about how they can use those skills uh, in different contexts. 
Well, I think it's absolutely fascinating. We spent some time talking about contextual admissions and maybe the, the next thing uh, for people to focus on is, is contextual progression in a way and this sense of people steadily developing through opportunity during their, their lives. Karen, it's been fantastic having you on the podcast. Um, I think it's brilliant what you're doing and focusing on at York St. John. And we're absolutely delighted that you're part of all of our levelling up goals work and, and actually contributing to it so clearly as well with all of your own experiences as a higher education institution. So thank you very, very much for being on the podcast today. Thank you.